Yeah, that game was dog shit. I mean, the, this whole week's been dog shit. Yes, it has. I'm keeping up. <laughs> that's, so cool. that's the intro to the show. Uh, All right, everybody. Welcome to the 260th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here from rainy Rip City, and I got my man. Sage Ishmith just got ruled out of the Charlotte game, meaning... It's a big fucking deal because Rozier and Mellow Ball are both out, meaning Gordon Hayward's going to be the point guard, meaning I'm going to have way too much Gordon Hayward. We are recording at 225, normally the time I look at DFS lineup. So if uh, I sound distracted, it's because I'm pulling out my remaining hair because of the stupid slate with COVID. But... You know, I'm going to be the one who ambushes you with the uh, icebreaker question. Let's let's get it. All right. And I haven't really thought of this one for myself, but I'm curious. Is there a verse or a song that you can relate to this Portland Trailblazers season? Oh, my God. What's yours? So I have two. And again, I put like five minutes of deep thought into this, so it might not be the best. But you know the song Vibes by Sky Zoo and Apollo Brown? Yep. It's just bad vibes over here. So that was number one. And then number two, I was thinking, and um, there's a uh, concept album by Master Ace called Disposable Arts. And one of the songs, he himself hadn't put out an album in six years So the song's called Dear Diary, and it's like all of his thoughts about like, you know, I haven't put an album out in six years. I'm I just got diagnosed with MS. How am I gonna put a album together? And it was basically just a song about all all of his fears uh, in creating music. So those are my two. Just not really the uh, most inspiring songs, but this isn't really the most inspiring season. So uh, I hopefully I uh, <laughs> took enough time for you to do a quick Google search. So this I did do a Google search because I have to get the actual lyric correct. But I think this is pretty impressive. Just I had no prior knowledge to this. No, I, I ambushed you. I only had like the 30 seconds that you gave your answer. But there is probably one of my favorite all time guest appearances. It's J-Rock. He is on Kendrick Lamar's Money Trees from Good Kid, Mad City. And he has a line in that where he says, this, the last time you might see my ass from the gardens where the grass ain't cut, them serpents lurking. So I think there's so much shady shit going on right Mm -hmm. now in Portland that you don't know who to believe. The vibes are all all wrong. You got players who are uninspired. You have a coach throwing uh, his team publicly under the bus. And it just feels like we're finally starting to see what the damage that Neil Olshay has left in his wake, right? 
the grass is cut and you can see everything. It's all starting to uncover. And I think there's more to come. So that that's my lyric for this season to date. If you have one, uh, we'll post these songs on our, our Twitter, Holy Back at Holy Backboard, and we can make a nice thread of probably some disappointing and sad songs. It, it has been a interesting week in, in Rip City. Uh, it started on Monday with a loss against the Utah Jazz, 129 to 107. It was immediately announced that Damian Lillard would be out for at least 10 days dealing with uh, the, the abdominal injury. Uh, Portland, the following night, continued their home winning streak against the, the worst team in the Eastern Conference, the Detroit Pistons, winning 110 to 92. However, the wheels quickly fell off the wagon. Uh, San Antonio came in, ended the 10-game home winning streak, uh, smacked Portland 114-83. to The following day, Neil O'Shea was uh, relieved of his duties as general manager due to violating the code of conduct. And then Saturday, it didn't get much better as the Boston Celtics put on a Moda Center slash Rose Garden arena record 145 points for an opponent in a 145-117 drubbing of the Portland Trailblazers, dropping Portland to 11-13 and on the season, just a game ahead of the Sacramento Kings for the, the last play-in spot. Portland is now 5-5 five and five on the season, while their away record has not improved their home record is starting to take a bit of a blemish losing the past two at home. This was supposed to be the time stage. The Blazers were to do all of their damage. As we mentioned on last week's episode, 15 of the next 19 were going to be at home. Well, they've already played three of those games. Now you are 12 of the next 16 are at home and they're one and three or one and two, excuse me, in those home games so far. So Sage winning at home was the, the team's saving grace, and now they are not able to do so. It could get a little bit rough if they're not able to stay above water uh, over this next month or so. But before we get into everything, did you have a good for the week? Hmm. Neil Shea got fired, and I'm going to use that one from uh, two days ago. He got know, yeah, we just podcasted about Neil O'Shea getting fired. I mean, it's honestly, we're going to go really quick through the good because that's the only good thing that happened to the franchise this week. You know, listeners of this show, we always keep it realistic. If we're negative, there's a reason to be negative. If we're positive, there's a reason to be positive. It, it was not a good week in Portland. Um Bottom line, I was looking through the power rankings. ESPN has us, I believe, at 21st. You look at just the struggles this this team has incurred. Uh, Portland has lost five of their last six games. They really haven't been contests. Uh, the past four defeats have been by 15, 22, 31, and 28 points. Uh, so there, there hasn't been a lot of good. So yeah, I'm going to steal your good as well, because it's the only good thing that happened was that Neil O'Shea was, uh, let go. So now we can get into what we probably have more to discuss. What was your bad for the week, Sage? Just the pitiful way that we've been playing. We play, we're playing some very uninspired basketball. And yes, I know about Dame, Nasir, Ant being out. And I've looked at the 
what we're doing to create offense with Dennis Smith Jr. and CJ. I get it. With those players being out, it gives opportunity to players that are struggling to find their footing in the league. And we're still playing some rather uninspired basketball. So to see to see how we are playing and the level. I, my, my first Blazer game of the year was that, that Celtics game and just see them fight in the first half and then completely lay down and have the Celtics do their and one mixtape versus us is not the uh, the best look for this team. And uh, it's pretty impressive to completely lose the locker room within 20 games of your first coaching job. What were your thoughts on the Boston Celtics basically showing up the trailblazers, Peyton Pritchard, hometown kid, won four straight state championships at Westland, went to the University of Oregon, played in the final four there, won Pac-12 player of the year. Uh, got drafted in the first round by the Boston Celtics, had been in a bit of a slump. So this is the one time a year his family gets to see him play. Uh, he's clearly a, a, a team favorite because they were, yeah, you, they, they were uh, doing their antics on the bench. I mean, you had Dennis Schroeder acting like he's dead on the ground, team team dragging him. I mean, they, they were happy. I would say last year's Dustin would have been upset. This year, I have no problem with it. I'm much more emotionally removed from the team. And then there's two things I, I want to convey here. One, it's sports and entertainment. They mm-hmm. are having fun. Their, their player is out there. It's still, they're still playing basketball. So they are having fun. That's the first and foremost thing that they, they should do. Just because our, our team is lifeless on the bench doesn't, doesn't, mean doesn't re- restrict the other team from mm-hmm. having a good time. The second thing, if you don't want them doing it, stop play it. <laughs> play defense. Play with pride. That, that's it. Don't be mad at Boston for stunting on your team. Be mad at your team for allowing Boston to stunt on your team, right? It was mostly Celtics fans in the arena. Like, we, the fan base, like, at the third quarter and the fourth was just a mass exodus of, of fans. Like, we're not playing that inspired of ball, so these fans don't feel the need to be there till the end. They want to beat traffic and all that. Like, I have no problem with it. Also, I didn't see it because I was too far up. But, like, I didn't see them stunting. Well, I saw them stunting in the fact that they were, like, isoing and, like, jacking shots and somehow making it. But I I truly – it's like I'm not going to be offended. If my team doesn't show the the grit to stop it, why should I feel like – why should I feel some sort of way when the people representing me aren't feeling that? Absolutely. I think there's so much hypocrisy when it comes from that because Blazer fans loved Zach Collins bench bench reactions. There's a whole gift series of him just going wild for plays when CJ would cross somebody over and leaving him, you know, shook. Every team does it. People just get in their feelings when it happens to their team, like just let it go. I would also say the Blazer radio broadcast had some big unwritten rule energy vibes coming from my speakers when I was listening to it. And I was just like, you guys got it. Like quit taking this to heart. Like who cares? They're out there. The game is still playing play basketball. Like I don't want to watch you take a knee or run out the shot clock. Everyone's getting paid, play the game, move on. It's not that serious. You're watching grown ass adults put a basketball through a hoop for entertainment. Don't get in your feelings over this. Don't, especially don't get in your feelings over this blazer team. 
And with that, cut Tyrese Maxey is out. This slate is absolutely awful. Anyway, we are here talking about the Portland Trail Blazers, not my redoing of 150 lineups. So <laughs> what's your bad? My bad for the week, and I did a lot of research on this, so I'm actually really proud of what I'm going to be uh, discussing here. My bad for the week is RIP to the narrative that CJ McCollum can carry a team without Damian Lillard. Key keywords there, the narrative. I'm not saying CJ McCollum can't carry a team without Dame. I'm saying that narrative can now be kind of put to rest. And I went back four years and I looked at the games that CJ played without Damian Lillard and how it kind of went from everyone remembers the first one. So the it only happened one time in the 2019 season. Portland played Atlanta. Mm. Damian was out. CJ had that triple double, the first of his career, 28 points, 44% from the field, 10 dimes, 10 boards. Everyone remembers that first one. So you have that, that narrative that you can, even as a general manager, you can sell to other teams. CJ, look what he can do without Dame. Clearly the teams are different. The scenarios are different. Portland was actually competitive. They were competing for something. They were playing for something. Was ATL not? Because they've always they been still... a bad defensive team because Trey Young was there at that time. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't care about defense at that time. You know, yeah, Dame is super durable. He's never missed a game. Well, he missed that one. CJ stepped up. As Dame's gotten older, you know, he's taken time off for, for certain games. And then in the 1920 season, there were eight games that Damian Lillard didn't play in. Again, that, that team was not good. But again, we're talking about narrative here. The Blazers went two and six without Damian Lillard. CJ McCollum had some fantastic performances, though, individually. So the narrative is still strong there. He got a game against Orlando where he put up 41 points on 14 of 24 shooting in a Blazer victory. He put up 35 and five and five against Atlanta in a 12 point loss. Uh, he put up 41 again against the Pistons, uh, 50%, 12 assists, nine rebounds, almost another triple double. So in those eight games in the 2020 season, CJ averaged 32 and a half points per game on 48% shooting from the field, eight and a half assists, 5.3 three rebounds. Narrative still incredibly strong. Last season, four games without Damian Lillard where CJ McCollum also played. Two and two record, but you're starting to see the performance slide just a bit. 25.3 points average, down to 40% shooting, six assists, four and a half rebounds. Didn't really have a performance over 30 points in those four contests. And then you go this year where I think it's starting to slip Four games, one and three record, very relevant because the, most of those games just happened. 22.3 point per game average, 40% shooting as well. The assists are down to four. The rebounds are down to three and a half. So you just even look two years ago, the assists are cut in half. The rebounds are down by almost 40%. Again, team matters. Context matters. What's happening outside of the organization, it all matters. But if you're talking about narrative, I don't think you can sell that narrative to other GMs or the fan base or, or have that there. And I think CJ 
is still a similar talented player. Like I don't think he's fallen off of his peak. I think what you're now seeing is a player who kind of feels left as a scapegoat. I think you're seeing a player who is kind of tired of hearing the trade rumors. I think you're seeing a player who probably feels like, and this is just me speculating that Dame kind of left him on an Island alone. You know, in the summer when Damien Lillard is saying the roster isn't good enough, we all agree with that. I, I don't think it benefited CJ to hear Damien say that publicly because who, who is he in re- referring to? Yeah. It's basically saying he is. He's referring enough. to CJ McCollum. He's saying, CJ, you are not good enough to be my Robin. Everyone knows that's true, but when you hear it from your yeah, when you hear it from the actual person, that's just like that just stings. Mm -hmm. And I think you're starting to see just like you know, fuck it. Like, why am I riding for for this team anymore? Like, they're not riding for me. So, I I just think that that was my bad for the week. I thought that there could have been a positive where CJ was able to step up and perform how he did to start last season to start this season, but he's kind of slowly regressing. And that's a hard narrative to now sell, um, especially as the trade deadline comes up. So that was my, my bad for the week. So I recently just tweeted this out because I was very interested in seeing what the Blazers do in terms of usage and like, you know, who's handling, who's shooting. So I I posted this on Twitter. Um, It's basically, uh, what the roster is without Dame, Ant, and Nasir on the floor. Uh, CJ is taking a really big step in like being the lead playmaker and then taking out Trend and Watford. Yusuf, Dennis Smith, Norman Powell, Cody Zeller, Ben McLemore are the leading usage players on this team without those three players. We are not a deep team. Yes, the, it's NBA players that people probably should know like Cody Zeller but when you have guys that we've traded first round picks for having a a usage rate of 10 in Larry Nance having a usage rate of 16 in Robert Covington not producing rebounds assists any other defensive statistics when you've had three first round picks for two guys that essentially and not to be totally mean but like in terms of production rise, they're running cardio that, that they're not playing basketball. They're running cardio. So I get that the CJ probably can't be the lead alpha player narrative. Yeah. It's probably dead, but he can't do it with guys that are just so underperforming as well. Dude, I was watching and you have four of the five players on the court are Cody Zeller, Tony Snell, Ben McLemore and Dennis Smith jr. That's pretty awful. That that's god awful. Yeah, you know their their names. So Neil O'Shea was like, okay, they're on the fringes of the league. I, I think Cody Zeller would find a job, regardless. He would have found a backup job, but I don't think Tony Snell would have found a good a, ro- a rotation spot. I don't think Ben McLemore would have found a spot where there's some games where he could drop 17 points. Like their names. The first There's round a reason picks. they all took the minimum contract. Exactly. Too. Like, and when you're taking out a transcendent point guard, a guy that honestly could be in the running for sixth man of the year and a high energy wing that is probably your best rebounder. We're going to struggle. 
CJ can only do so much with a roster this awful. Exactly. Uh, Sage, what is your ugly for the week? Um, seeing that Chauncey Billups, how uh, how bad of a leader he is with the with seeing how th- this was the first time he stayed after the game to talk to the guys about them being unmotivated. There have been plenty of times and where they didn't look motivated and he left. That just shows a lack of dedication to the team, a lack of dedication to the first opportunity that he's gotten being a coach in this league. And there's only 30 spots for the head man. So to see what Chauncey Billups has done with his first opportunity, it's kind of like he's squandering this chance. And I've seen this on Twitter where they're like, we should put him as the general manager because that was also something he wanted to do. Well, I'm on the the side where if he can't get a minutes rotation straight, I don't trust him making actual good decisions with the roster. Uh, If you can't be a coach, you shouldn't be a general manager. I am not a fan of failing upwards. If he can't do it at one spot, you shouldn't try and give him another job at in the higher capacity. I mean, we, we made the mistake of paying him for five years of service, but he's doing more to destroy this team in his 20 games of being the head coach than Terry Stotts did in seven or eight. That is my ugly as well. And before I discuss um, or add to your, to your talking points, I got to say like, I am, I'm sorry, Terry. Like I, I, I still was on board with letting Terry and, Neil go at the end of last year, but I probably gave Terry way too much fault and not enough to Neil Olshay. It's clear now that, that Terry was holding Olshay's roster together with like super glue. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there was a reason they played drop coverage because it's a shitty defensive team and it doesn't matter what, what defensive scheme you throw out there. It's, it's not good. Portland fell to the, the last defensive rating in the entire NBA. 114 is the defensive rating. It went down by 1.4 points in in four games, which is absolutely uh, ridiculous. You never had Terry. Our defense was held together by string. It wasn't built on a good foundation. We just duct taped it and put like string through it to make it look like a better, more active defense. But when you really look deep into the defense, is it different than what it was in the past? No. Yeah. And so I, I, and we're making it difficult for Dame to be Dame. I thought nine years was, was plenty for Terry. And I thought time had kind of taken its course in Portland, but it wasn't entirely his fault. And that's what I would, you know, say I'm, I'm sorry for because it was uh, the roster is, is really bad. And what I do think Portland, so I, I'm on board with uh, Portland needs a new coach, like 110% a new coach. They need someone who has a lot of Terry's qualities They they need. This is the NBA. This isn't college. This isn't, this isn't high school where you need to motivate or where you need to like be a disciplinarian, like Chauncey's trying to be. Yeah. These are grown ass men making millions of dollars that don't really want to be told what to do like a child. Like you really need a coach that is a, that is not a micromanager that gives them freedom that, that trusts them. Yes. You can hold them accountable, but when Chauncey Billups speaks in the media, and these are both quotes that I got from, from Sean Hyken, this was from the press conference after the Boston game. He said, 
Lack of pride, of course, that bothers me. If that doesn't bother you, there's something going on. Sometimes it's not your night. Cool, it happens. There's a way I'm willing to lose, and that's not the way I'm willing to lose. It was embarrassing. I've never seen a team that needs its bench to inspire our starters. That shit is crazy to me. It's supposed to be the other way around. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, Chauncey, the team starts with you. There's a reason the starters aren't coming out on, with, with their hair on fire, and it starts with, with the head, head man. That, that's you. That, that's your problem to deal with, not, not the starters. Maybe it's making a, a coaching change or a, a personnel change. Maybe it's switching up the minutes rotations, as, as you've alluded to, Sage. There's, th- this, this is the job you signed up for. Do it. You know, Shams put out an article just today that said in recent weeks, sources say Damian has grown frustrated with the team's play and tension appears to be on the rise between the players and Billups. Sage, we are 23, 24 games into the season and we're already hearing these players and Chauncey are coming, you know, to a standoff. They're beefing. That, that's crazy to me. And there's been a lot of turnover too. I think the only players that remained from Terry Stotts were uh, the starting five. Aunt Nas. Aunt Nas. And Norman Powell really only played like two Elgin. months under Terry Stotts. <laughs> yeah. So you're, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a brand new fucking team and you're already losing Half them? of them are new. That, that's insane. Get him, get him out of here. Portland needs to to start. You need to find someone. There's a rumor about her being cheap, but we're paying out a lot of money. And if she's looking to sell the team, wouldn't competent management be a pretty nice feature to have? Not all press is good press. And as we're seeing right now, it is a lot of negative stuff about Chauncey Billups. Wouldn't it be good to have somebody at the helm of your asset that you're trying to sell that's competent and can do the right thing. And it looks better. Like there's a lot of guys right now that are like inspiring players to hit their ceiling where Chauncey is trying to get them at their floor. It seems, wouldn't it be a better financial decision to say, let's get somebody who can inspire these guys. I know that the sunk cost you've already spent the money. That is a sunk cost. You're like, they're billionaire. It's not like they're using my money to hire Charles. This Lee. isn't you or, or my salary or, or our dollars on the hourly wage. Like no. These people are on a completely different planet when it comes to their finances. So when I hear people say, oh, they don't want to pay out that, I'm like, fuck you. If, if you have a, if you're a billionaire with a B, pay, pay it out, fix it. Like, I don't want to hear about your money problems. I don't want to hear if you're being cheap. No, you you inherited this team. If you're going to keep it, do something about it. Like, don't, I mean, don't be... here's the thing for me. If you're going to, and this is for Chauncey and Jody Allen, but if you're going to put on the uniform and participate in this, this league, you should probably give it your all. If you're at least going to put on the, the persona of you're an owner, fucking put in your all. And I think that everybody can agree that the Blazers aren't putting in their all. And I think it starts with Chauncey Billups just 
poo-pooing everybody in the media. Where the fuck do you learn this type of management? It kind style? of comes across to me as Jason Kidd. You know, he started, I think he had two jobs, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Brooklyn yeah. and Milwaukee. And he left a lot, he left a sour taste in both franchises, uh, you know, kind of mouths because of how he went about. I mean, we read about it in Giannis's book, all of like the mental tactics he was doing. Um, that that's the risk you roll. That's the risk you run when you hire a inexperienced head coach and you give them four years plus a team option. Like I, I know everybody was celebrating on Friday when Neil O'Shea was fired, and and I definitely was excited to wake up to that news, but. I was walking to get coffee the next day with Olga and I was kind of just talking to her about it. And I was like, it's beyond like dysfunctional that Jody Allen, Burt Cold and the Vulcans allowed Neil Olshay, who was apparently on thin ice at the time. I mean, he had to have been, I mean, this, I don't think these code of conducts come out of nowhere. You allow him to make a franchise altering decision in hiring a head coach. Like you don't want to run through head coaches. Those are, those are big ordeals. You allow him to do that autonomously. Uh, and he picks his guy, the one with the most baggage and the least experience. And then about four months after that hire, you're booting Neil O'Shea out the door. In what realm of existence does that make any sense? It's the example of incompetent management. I remember David Stern saying the same shit about New Orleans and Dell Demps. We're worse right now than Dell Demps and the NBA-owned New Orleans Hornets. There's no doubt in my mind that this team right this second is in a worse spot than that team. At least there was some basketball mind in charge right now with that team. This is just like we've lost all semblance of a leadership or anything like that. This is the, this team is in a very rough spot and they need to handle stuff with the, with the care that it deserves um, with this general manager search. Prior to the season starting, I thought four things had to happen. I thought McGowan had to leave. I thought Olshay had to leave. I wanted Jody to sell the team and I thought they needed to remove Chauncey Phillips and, and start over. Like this era has just been completely tainted. It's starting to get toxic and rotten. Like two of the four have, have taken shape. Portland really needs to continue to remove that, that bandaid. And it, this was almost my bad for the week, but I, I kind of wanted to go in more of a, of a basketball on the court direction, but there's so much paranoia from Blazer fans, whenever I bring up selling the teams, like, well, be careful what you wish for. They're going to move. I mean, my, my mom's done it. My, my friend Matt's done it. People on Twitter. It's just like, there's just this paranoia from being in, in Portland where it's a small market and you automatically assume that if you put a team up for sale, they're going to move. I've been a fan since I was five years old. That was in 1990. So you, you, that's how far I am dated. There have been more expansions. I think there were like six then there have been relocations. There have been four. And that's even including Charlotte, who got a team back. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been an, a relocation since uh, 2008 when Seattle went to Oklahoma City. There, Portland is signed. The, the, the Rose Garden Moda Center, whatever you call it, is leased to the city through 2026. 
prior to this season, it's it the attendance has been top of the in the top of the league. It, Portland is a basketball town. You, you want that as as a franchise or as a league. You don't want to continue to go into markets where the NBA might be the third or fourth ticket in town. In Portland, prior to this year, it's been it's been the ticket. They they we are a one horse town in in Portland. They're not gonna move. Like, are you really gonna go? As an, as an organization or as, as a league and not have any sort of reputation or team in a whole entire region, like the Pacific Northwest is huge. Exactly. And that's why like Stern wasn't going to let the Gulf coast not have a team. Are you really thinking that the Pacific Northwest with Seattle and Portland, not going to have a team that's real. That would be really short-sighted management of the league they there needs to be a representative of the region and probably two so if the pacific north was going to add a team i would get it but to subtract a team to go where vegas it doesn't make sense and there's less there's lower performing teams like i get that i i totally get the uh the worrying about like where your franchise is going to be but if you have faith in the nba then you shouldn't really worry about it because of the regionality la doesn't need a third team or you know what i'm saying like california doesn't need a sixth team the pacific northwest needs a team oh this is not a new team either say just the team that's with history nba family for 52 years so I, I, I just, I, I don't see it. I think the and NBA sell is- to competent ownership that's willing to make the team, the, uh, the, the, the pearl of the Northwest, like sell to someone who wants to make this team a bigger part of the community. Of course, there's the negatives, you know, if, if they sell the team, there's always potential negatives, but don't let the potential negatives outweigh the positives of, you know, having somebody that's hungry that wants to build the championship contender. We've been dealing with mediocrity for a long time. And I get it. Making the playoffs is comfortable, but don't you want to at least be competent and competitive for uh, Damian Lillard's prime and the inevitable regression? If you want to keep Dame, you got to make him happy. And it's obvious that these 13 players aren't happy with who's in the uh, the head coaching position. And, and it's, it's Jody Allen's fault for letting this happen. All right, Sage, before we get, we have a, quite a few fan questions. So before we get into those, I just wanted to get your thoughts. So obviously today with the report from Shams about Olshay possibly, or not Olshay, Billups possibly already being uh, at odds with the rest of his roster. Uh, there was also the big nugget in there was that Damian Lillard wants to play with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons reportedly liked that that Instagram post. Uh, what, what does that framework look like? It's been reported that the Blazers have offered Dame, a young player in a pick that was then reported to be countered by Maury where, or not Dame, CJ, a young player in a pick. Maury was like, no, we need CJ three picks and three pick swaps. Uh, Portland has an interim GM at the moment in Joe Cronin. 
if Portland were to get Ben Simmons, I know you're not the biggest fan of that move. One, tell me why. But then two, if it does happen, what are you comfortable paying to get Ben Simmons in Portland? I've been watching a lot of Sixers games because for the last few years, where because uh, they usually are the first game of the night. Um, so if you, God damn it, DeMar DeRozan's out? Sorry, that was a little too loud. Um, so <laughs> I don't like Ben Simmons because they're, it takes a lot for him to get motivated. I think he's one of the most talented guys in the league, but there's that mentality issue that is going to rear its ugly head. As a person, he doesn't have the mentality of like those star alpha players that you, you want to have on your team. So talent wise, I think it's fine. I mean, like the shooting's going to always be a factor, but you can negate that by getting a better shooting five or better shooters around them. But it, it's basically the 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 uh, attitude and mentality, not the actual player. And then what what would you be comfortable paying? So let's say that you're you're the GM. Jody's like, you have to get this deal done. You have to get us Ben Simmons. What what's the what's the price you're paying? Is Chauncey our coach? Unfortunately. Okay, then use is gone. Uh, I I'd throw Robert Covington. I'd throw CJ McCollum. Um, we don't really have picks, so I guess it would have to be future picks. I I would do two in a swap, but I need to get a shooting center somehow. So I would want to make it a three-team trade and you know try and make it happen because I just I you gotta have a certain construction for Ben Simmons for him to be his most optimized. So I, I think that this trade is going to be a lot more complicated than you and I are really thinking. It's probably a three or 14 trade. Absolutely. I, I think so. One of my pandemic uh, pleasures has been watching secret base on YouTube. Yeah, they're great. And they go through and they document a lot of history across many sports. And one of the histories was with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers and one of their owners slash GMs was Ted Stipian. And this dude if you if you're familiar with the the stipend rule, it's you can't trade consecutive first round picks. In, your in, own consecutive, in, yeah, your own. And that was because this dude just kept shelling them out. He's like, I don't care. Well, and this guy would just throw them away like like nobody's business, just for uh, a quick high, so to speak. Like, you know, like let's let's win now. Let, let's do this. And I've seen so many people that are just like, yeah, do whatever it takes. Let's get Ben Simmons. I don't care if we're paying you know three picks or whatnot. And in the back of my mind, I'm like. We're coming off of a tenure where our GM spent five picks on Zach Collins, Larry Nance Jr., and Robert Covington. There's a reason the asset chest is on empty. It is scot-free. There's nothing in there. We have nothing to offer teams, essentially. We have Nasir Little is the last first-round pick still on the roster, and he was picked in um, 2019. I would be very cautious. I, I get that you want to keep Damian Lillard happy. I get that Ben Simmons helps improve the defense. My my best offer is CJ Covington and one pick swap. We we don't have you can't because we already owe Cleveland our first round pick this year a lottery protected. So to even make a trade, you'd have to say, "Hey Cleveland, we're going to unprotect that pick for you," which is probably going to be middle of the pack. I mean, it's going to be a damn good pick. Um, 
And then you're going to like, how, how else do small market teams with no cap space get better draft picks? So then you're going to really bank on the fact that Damian Lillard and Ben Simmons are going to be good enough to compete for an NBA championship. Because if you go in for Ben Simmons, you don't do it just to be relevant. You don't do it just to win a series or two. You do it to try to be true NBA championship contenders. And you just can't do that if you don't have any other way to improve the roster. So that that's the most I would I, I would give up. Like I, I I think I understand the desire of Blazer fans wanting to win with Damian Lillard, but if you sell the farm for the next five years and you don't even sniff a championship, I mean Portland's going to be in a, a a bad place. Like the rebuilding bad, would take like ten years. Rebuilding is going to take 10 years. And that's when you could probably start worrying about the team moving is if, if it takes that long and you have no picks and you've got no stars. I mean, Brooklyn was able to stay relevant because they're in Brooklyn, but they were still terrible after that Kevin Garnett trade. It, it took. And Brooklyn versus Portland. Exactly. It, it The reason Brooklyn is where they're at now, Sean Marks is a fantastic GM. However, Sean Marks had no recollection that Kevin Durant was going to sign with him. He found, he's like, oh, cool. Kevin Durant signing with us. There was no recruiting pitch. He's like, yeah, Katie and Kyrie that they're coming over. And then uh, Harden's going to want to come out um, to play with Katie and Kyrie. And that, that's how that team was built. I mean, he, he was doing a good job, but it was accelerated because of the market he was in. You got to be competent. Like Chris Paul wasn't going to go to Phoenix if they suck. So you have to be some level of competency for good players to think, maybe Portland is the place for me. Ennis wasn't going to come to Portland if we were struggling that year. Long story short, I would take Simmons. I think you have to, I think that if, if I'm Jody Allen, the number one priority I'm talking to my GM is replenish the draft capital. You really can't do anything without young assets and draft capital. That's what these teams with, with good players that want out, that's what they want. No offense to CJ McCollum, but teams aren't kicking down the door for a 30-year-old shooting guard with two years, $60 million left on his contract. That's not going to make a bad team better. Bad teams with good players want picks and young talent on rookie deals. And Portland does not have either. So that that's I'm taking the the somewhat longer approach. I just I don't know how. I don't know how much Ben Simmons improves this team, Sage. I don't know if he makes us a championship contender. And I think if you're going to throw picks into a deal, it has to be a title oh, contending move. It so, can't be just. So, what would your lineup look like? Like, who would you would it just be Ben Simmons back? Does that work yeah, financially? Yes, that's that's the thing. So, if you make that trade, you have Dame, Powell, Nas, Ben, and Yusuf Nurkic, Zeller, Nance. That's not it, much shooting at all. Exactly. You have to make two more moves at least. Yeah, that's why I think the roster to what you want it. And you're not going to be able to upgrade from Yusuf Nurkic without attaching a pick. So where where are these picks that are coming from? I keep seeing, oh, CJ and picks for Ben Simmons and Nurk and picks for Christian Wood. You can't magically make all of these draft picks come out of nowhere. Like I think Blazer fans are probably just now starting to get a realization that this is the damage that Neil O'Shea left in his wake. Like the, the, it's it's troublesome to to be honest. When you actually look at it, this isn't two K. The damage has been done. It's going to take a while to fix it, and that's just kind of the the state of 
Rip City at at the moment. Are you yeah. ready to get into these fan questions, Sage? Absolutely. All right. I think we've got uh, the first one I want to get to is from uh, Brandon Goldner. He says the Blazers defense is currently 30th in the NBA, according to cleaning the glass. Who is to blame? Everybody, but Chauncey Billups and the defensive coordinator the most. I think they they put these players in situations where they don't fully succeed. Like, look what Robert Covington has become. He His calling card is defense, and we're not putting him in the place where his defense would put be the uh, most optimized or the most efficient. So I think it starts with Chauncey Billups and Roy Rogers, but it goes down to the players as well because they're obviously not motivated to play hard. So, you know, they're not putting in the effort, the second and third efforts that great teams are. But I think it starts at the head. I know it's human nature for human beings to want to place blame on one sole object or person and, you know, cast them as the, the scapegoat. There is no scapegoat here. There, there's, there's blame to be, to be passed around across the board. Um, if you want to start from the top down, it goes to the ownership. They allowed Neil O'Shea to really work un, un, unattended to, and they, they left him to do his own thing. And he continued to draft and sign six, four guards and trot out, you know, whether it was Terry Stotts or Chauncey Billups, trot out a, a small lineup that is unbalanced and not known for defense. I think the blame can go to the coaching staff where, you know, things aren't working. Uh, You can't make Robert Covington into a point of attack defender. That's not his specialty. I think you need to get a little bit more creative. Um, Clearly looking at the size is an issue, you know, watching the Boston game, you have Norman Powell on Jason Tatum. I mean, that's just a terrible matchup, but that's not putting Norm in a position to succeed. Um, you look at the Blazers themselves, the players have to take some of the blame. Like they're, they're not motivated. Um, the slow starts have been killer that this past week you've got Boston or you've got San Antonio going up six Oh, in the first minute. I mean, they hit three of their first five threes and that kind of set the tone. And then Boston starts the game 14 for 15. I mean, they led 38 to 23 after the first quarter. And this isn't the first time all year we've seen a slow start. For Portland, I mean, they they came back against Chicago, but even at home, there have been blemishes on on the record. You look at at Damian Lillard, like I think he has to take some of the blame too. He has been so loyal to his guys that it's kind of allowed to get to this point where you're paired together with a small backcourt mate. You don't play great defense yourself. Everyone takes some blame. And that that's kind of where, where I'm at here. Like it's, it's been a bad defense. It's continued to be a bad defense. I think it's even more embarrassing this year when you, when you figure that, that Neil made so many changes to the bench where everyone was like, it's Cantor and Mello. You can't play them together. That's what's causing the defense to be terrible. He spends a first round pick to get Larry Nance signs Cody Zeller. And he's like, okay, this should be better. Hires Chauncey Billups. who supposedly, you know, has a defense in his DNA and they're just as bad. And the team's been up until this point even more healthy than they were last year. So it's it's just embarrassing that defense in Portland has been the buzzword for 
the past two to three years and it just, it doesn't get better. And I think everyone has a part to play in that. It's everybody deserves the blame for that. I would say people think that Yusuf Nurkic is the reason we suck now. And I would argue he's the reason that we're competent defensively. Or not, Next, like not the all-time worst. How about that? Next question from uh, Blazers Down Under says, what direction can we expect the construction of the Blazer roster to take? Is it dependent on who becomes the permanent GM? Love your work, guys. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll let you take the, the first part of that question, Sage. What direction do you think the, the roster is going to go? And do you think it is dependent on who becomes the GM? I think it's dependent on who becomes the GM and what Damian Lillard thinks. It wouldn't, like, if Dame's not in it, why are we trying to get Ben Simmons and trade every bit of draft capital that we have? And we're very, you know, poor in terms of draft assets. So I think the first thing the potential general manager needs to do is figure out what Dame wants to do and either it do right by Dame, either by keeping him in Portland happy or getting him to a place where he can succeed. So uh, that that's what the GM should do. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely based upon who, who's the GM, like the, the GM of any franchise is, is the architect. Their, their, their fingerprints can be found all over the roster. Like every GM has their own quirks in terms of what they value and what they don't. I will say in terms of roster construction, the the, uh, the path that I would go, I think you really need to start to find more two-way players. I think you need to find more size. I think you need to find players who you don't have to coach up. Like the energy is not an issue where you know what you're going to get on a nightly basis. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research watching the 1990-91 Trailblazers for an upcoming throwback podcast. And just watching that unit, and spoiler alert, both games were against the Chicago Bulls. Watching that unit, how they were so connected in what they wanted to make Michael Jordan do. They didn't allow him to get to his spots. Everyone was on a string. They were so connected. They were communicating. They followed the game plan. And you just look at that roster where you had your scorers, you had your hustlers, you had your defenders. And you had players who knew their roles off of the bench, players to, who were to bring their energy. Portland right now, I, I, I think may, they have a handful of those attributes. You know, you've got Nasir Little who's starting to fill in, into that energizer, hustler player. You've got Anthony Simons who knows his role off of the bench. But I, I would say that Norman Powell doesn't know his role. I would say Robert Covington doesn't know his role. I would say Yusuf Nurkic Here, doesn't Yusuf know doesn't. his role. Oh. And Dame and CJ know their role, but they don't complement one another. I don't so think I, Dame knows his role fully. Yeah. I think with the coaching change, there there's just there have hasn't been clear cut directives as to what is expected and how they're going to achieve their goals. So that, that would be the first thing I, even before I, I talked to Dame, because if, like you said, I agree, if Dame wants in, you go, if Dame wants out, you go that direction either, but in either way, you need either short-term success or long-term, long-term success. And that comes with a balanced roster that probably has a history of playing well with, with another good squad. Like you, when we got Buck Williams, we knew what we were going to get from Buck. You got Danny Ainge. You knew what you were going to get from Danny Ainge playing on that 86 championship Celtics team. Like he knew his role. He knew what he was going to do. 
I just think there needs to be more communication and that's how I would build the roster around, whether it's more young players, if Dame wants out or more veteran players, if Dame wants in, but there has to be a clear cut direction. There has to be some balance. And you also, and I know in in today's society of instant gratification, whatever direction you choose, you have to let it at least marinate a bit. Like when I watch those blazer teams, that connectivity didn't happen overnight. Drexler had been with the team since 83, Porter 85, Kersey 84, uh, Duckworth 86. I mean, only Cliff, Buck, and Ainge were semi-recent additions, yet the foundation was already there. Portland, I feel like they're trying to do, they're, they're trying to almost like remodel a house that has shaky foundation. They got to figure out that foundation first. And then they can move forward to all of the vanity uh, appeal of it. Next question from Rip Village. Do you think there's an actual trade market for CJ that a new GM might participate in? Or do you think this was something that Olshay never actually explored? Follow up. Do you see the new GM actually sending out picks? Usually a new GM wants to retain or rebuild their powder keg. Well, we don't really have the picks to send out. So I think dependent on what the, uh, the, the step of Damian Lillard, it, that determines a lot. So whatever that is, it's either gaining assets or going all in. It's one of those two. So, you know, and I think to the first part of the question, I think the market's dwindling on CJ. I, I don't think Neil O'Shea actively explored it. I think he could maybe tell his buddy Jason Quick, yeah, I offered CJ and nothing else for, for Ben Simmons, or I, I offered CJ for you know Anthony Davis, but I, I don't think he actively tried to trade CJ for Paul George. It was actually reported it was three picks and anybody but Dame, CJ, and Nurk. Um, Wouldn't I, I don't you love to he, do that now, though? Oh, God, yes. But I, I don't think... I don't want, I don't think he actively tried to trade CJ. That's his guy. He That's found his draft. Him. He that, that was his first draft pick, right? His first true draft pick. He wanted that to succeed. Like, as I mentioned before, GMs have their fingerprints all over a roster. And, you know, if Neil O'Shea was going to win, he was going to do it with, with Damon CJ. Like those were his guys, especially CJ. But to the more interesting aspect of this question, and do I think there's an actual trade market for CJ? Yes, with a caveat, Blazer fans aren't really going to like what the returns. Yeah, gonna it's going to be underwhelming. It's in your mind, in Blazer fans' mind, it's going to be severely underwhelming. You're not going to get an all-star in return. It's just it's it's not going to happen. Guard play at the NBA level across the 30 teams is at an all-time high. Like I've been watching basketball in the NBA over 30 years. Like I can't remember guard play being this dynamic across so many teams to that point cj is also 30 years old so you can almost cancel out half of the teams that are trying to rebuild he still makes a lot of money so it's hard to make salaries match up what portland needs is a big usually you don't trade big for small if you're in a or you don't yeah you don't trade big for small if you're if you're the opposing gm so it's incredibly difficult it's why a Ben Simmons deal makes sense if you're able to just do CJ and a Covington because you get your big 
you get the market for CJ. Like I, I just don't know of how many teams are actively out there. Dallas, maybe, but with New Orleans, Orleans Dallas. With I, I don't think New Orleans is a destination, though. I mean, are are they really trying to take on 30 million for CJ? No, and, but I'm trying to think of teams that had don't have a guard as good as CJ. No, I, I think New York is up there, but yeah, they don't. I, I mean, they're the Kemba Walker thing. I don't want anybody from the Knicks. Um, who would you, the who, Knicks be willing to get Alec Burks in a first? I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you want to have old ass Obi Toppin? I would, yeah. I mean, if that's, but I, I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, they signed Evan Fournier. Um, I, I don't think that, 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 that fits. Um, you look Chicago, they just added a bunch of guards in the off season. I mean, they're, it's so hard in today's NBA, especially in the feast or famine NBA, when you have teams rebuilding at an all-time high, it's just not a rebuilding piece. Unfortunately, it's a win now piece, but it's, it's, it's difficult. I, I still think Dallas is that best fit, even though they, but they did just resign Tim Hardaway Jr. And Brunson, Brunson's good. Yep. And Brunson's a much better, he doesn't need the ball in his hands like a CJ would. Do you think the, Dallas the, the also usage? would be pretty tough defensively? Like Luca and CJ on the perimeter, that's that's not a, a recipe. Um, and how much would Luca negatively affect CJ? Yes, tremendous the ball in their hands. I honestly, I don't think they have the, the the trade capital to get it done, especially after shelling out so much for Paul George. I think the team Portland is going to see next, the Clippers, is probably the best destination. You have Kawhi, you have Paul George. They can make up for any deficiencies. The backcourt's where they they need the most help. So would it be Reggie Jackson? I don't want anything they could offer back. Say I was just putting out a destination, but I think CJ would fit in best. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, I don't Billy, want anything from the Clippers that they would offer. No. So that again, that's that's the whole Portland is in right now. Like they, they waited too long to make this move, and now. The value isn't there and it's harder to sell a franchise like OKC in Houston. They're not going to trade for what, what, what are the CG's just going to add them meaningless wins that, that they don't want. Yeah. I, I mean, and do the same thought exercise for use of Nurkic. It's, it's just as difficult. Um, so. Cause that, I thought that was a very interesting question. Use is me- not trying to play for $5 million. Use is. I mean, the way Neil Shades hyped him up for the last six years, it's like he's the third option. Well, third options usually get paid a lot of money, but because of how tall and big he is, you can find a center that's 80% as good for him for 10, 15% of the cost. Last question, Sage. It's from at playist underscore 4247. And I'm going to, since we don't know who the GM is, I'm going to phrase it a little bit differently. What is the first move you would make if you became GM? Fire Chauncey Billups. and Person, then... uh, On the court-wise. Because, yes, I agree. I would try my best to find some place that thinks Robert Covington would bring them over the, uh, the edge and try and get a first-round pick out of it. And I'd probably do the same for Larry Nance. I just think that the Robert Covington's been playing awful. So it's I, the coach and he just don't get along. So I'd want to get 
an asset for him. Um, so I think Robert Covington and then trying to explore a trade to actually get better would be my second. If that was what Dame wanted. I think the first move I would look to do is you have to see what you can get for Covington and Nurkic because of their contract status. You cannot let them walk and get nothing in return. I don't care if you're getting second round picks. Like you have, you have to get something without taking on additional salary. Another question I want to propose to you, and I've seen it brought up, and I think it makes sense, especially how we're talking about Jody Allen's pocketbooks. Portland's $3 million over the luxury tax. Jody Allen's probably not going to want to pay luxury tax for a sub-500 team with with no chance at at, at really going anywhere. Sage, how are the Blazers going to get under the salary cap without, or the the luxury tax, without real enticement of, of picks to... Say, hey, Team A, can you take on three $3 million extra in salary? Like, usually you have to sweeten the pot. I I don't know really what Portland could do. I mean, wasn't there that rumor that they were going to trade Ant to get under the luxury tax? I mean, and right now it's like... He's they don't really proven have that he's the, better than that, though. So it's like, damn. Like you honestly, like, so if, if we look at the roster right now, I'm on ESPN's trade machine. The only players that if you just traded them and got nothing back, Portland only has seven of those guys, Dame, CJ, Norm, after the 15th Norm, Rocco, Yusuf, Larry, and Ant. Those are the only players making over $3 million that you would have to just like say, here's a free, free player. We're under the luxury tax. So hypothetically, in any Covington trade, you could only take back. I mean, then you're trying to to make the deals work. It's going to get really tricky trying to get underneath the luxury tax if that is an objective of Jody Allen. The one good news is Joe Cronin, who started out as an intern in 2006, has kind of worked his way up, mastered the salary cap. He's probably got a plan in place. But But is he going to be the one to make the trade? I mean, he might have to if if you're if they're going to take a while on this general manager search, and if if the end if uh, how lengthy it took to relieve Neil of his duties is any any indication, it's going to be a, a drawn out process. So I think you have to give Cronin at least some autonomy to, to make a move, and I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can foresee that happening where they are trying to get under the luxury tax and. It, it's it's going to be difficult because other teams may not be able, like it's going to be hard to find that partner. You don't really have a lot of draft picks to make it happen. Um, so it's going to be an underwhelming trade for like, people are going to think that we're getting ripped off. If that's yeah. a, like we're trading Robert Covington for blank and a second round pick. I will say if they move ant just to get into the luxury tax, I, I think you'll see you'll probably not see anybody at the, at the next game. Like, I think that's ant has been one of the bright spots this season. And to just be that cheap, <laughs> to, to be frank is ridiculous. Like that's I, George Shin levels of cheap. Yeah. I got uh, a question from Catherine. What do you think the source of the chemistry slash heart issues are? We saw glimpses last year. There's gotta be something happening that we are totally unaware of. That is such a fantastic question. 
And it's something that I spend way too long thinking about just in my free time or, you know, I work from home so I can, I can fucking talk to myself all the time. Like what's, what's going on or how, how they can improve. I've seen some theories. Um, Part of it could be that this group, not as an entirety, but the Dame CJ Nurk core has been together for about five years now. And I wouldn't say they've had any real success. I, I, yes, they made it to the Western conference finals, but getting swept really, it doesn't negate that, but I, I wouldn't say that's any true success. And they've always just seemed to have a setback, whether it was an injury to Nurk, the injuries to Zach. I mean, what they're going through the, the pandemic hit and then just the salary cap with Neil basically, which blew up that 2019 team for no other reason than we didn't have the money to do it. I think there's just the realization and I kind of liken it to the Houston Rockets situation last year, where I think it was after they played back-to-back games against the Los Angeles Lakers, where he was just like, we're not good enough. And he was at the time wanting out and he, he said it and he got, he got his wish. He was traded. I think there's a distinct, I think there's a definite realization from the people on the team that like, we're not good enough. We're not going to win. They don't expect to win. And when you really don't expect to compete and you don't have, you don't have a team that's known as a bunch of scrappers. Like there's not a bunch of Tony Allen's or Jerome Kersey's or Gerald Wallace's on this teams that like are really going to like, okay, regardless of, of how we feel going into it, we are going to play our asses off that, that just that breed of player is pretty rare. And I don't think Portland has one on the roster. So when you don't have that there, you don't really feel like you're being supported by your head coach. You you add all that up and it's just like, like Rashid said, just cut the check. Let's just go up there. We'll play. And, and I think that's what you're seeing. Like they're, they're getting embarrassed. They're not coming out quick. They're slow starts, especially on the road. They get punched in the mouth once and they, they call it quits. It, it's a team that I think has finally realized the, the credits have come to an end. The, the, it's it's time to to move on to another destination. I said it a couple of weeks. It's the, the stale, the the stale Blazers, and I think the players can feel that too. And so when you when you don't truly, when you're an older player, especially like when you're young, you're trying to compete for that second contract, right? Like you're trying to prove, like I want a max deal, or or I'm gonna you know try and get this the second contract and set myself up. When you have a bunch of players who have six, seven, eight, nine, ten years in, in the league, those are vets. They want no part of a rebuilding process. They they want to go in and they want to win. And when you just don't feel it, they're, they're, that's just that's just kind of like human nature. It's it's almost reminiscent of the lockout shortened team in 2012 when Portland was starting a bunch of of vets a little bit past their prime. You know, you're talking about Ray Felton. Marcus Camby, Kurt Thomas, Jamal Crawford. And you didn't really have, just didn't really have that spark. And the, the, Nate McMillan lost that team and there was a bit of a mutiny. And it just, it's amazing how quick things can turn from bad to worse to downright sour. And I think right now the Blazers are an expired milk carton. It's just sitting in the fridge waiting for someone to toss them out. But right now they're just, they're in there. It's sour and fans are taking a gulp every time, every time they watch this team play. And I think getting a new GM is, is a good, 
step, but I don't think that really impacts the players that much. I think the the Billups thing is something I didn't, even as someone who was an, an anti-Billups hire person, I didn't see this happening. I, I, I think his coaching style is, is rubbing players the wrong way as well. And so they're, they're probably thinking like Dame doesn't think we're good enough. Coach is an asshole. We're not winning. Like what the fuck? Why like, do I have to try hard for a guy who yeah, doesn't care about I me? Mean, we've about all me. been at jobs where we've kind of coasted. We still get paid. It's it's no different in the NBA just because you you put on a jersey and everybody watches you perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think just like there's not one scapegoat, there's not one reason. It's just everything's just manifesting and the vibes are just there's a dark cloud still around the Blazers. It's it's stagnant. I mean, we've had the same star players. Yes, the coach is different, but we're not getting anything tangibly different from the team. So it's kind of like we're in a stagnant place of let's perform. If we win, that's awesome. If that's, if we don't, it's I. And I think you're probably seeing a little bit of that from, from Dame as well. Like I don't, like I've, I've said that he deserves like some blame. Like I don't think he's a bad player or a bad person or what he's frustrated. Like any person in his shoes would be frustrated. He's a top 10 player on this league. He hasn't played with an all-star in seven seasons. He hasn't been dealt the same hand that his peers have been dealt with. And he's, he's been loyal. He's wanted to win. And he just keeps getting these around the edge ass moves like Cody Zeller or Larry Nance. He's like, this, this isn't good enough. And so I, I think you're starting to see the tensions with, with Dame start to come to a boil. Like he, he's been vocal. He's said, okay, like maybe in, in private, that's not working. I, I got to go public. Well, going public didn't work and it may have alienated CJ McCollum a bit. So like, I think Dame's kind of at his wits end. Like, I don't want to leave, but y'all are pushing me out. Like, wh- what are you going to do? Like, how much more can I give to you? I'm, I'm going to be 32 years old. I can't put up with this shit anymore. Like, and so I think when your superstar is on edge, it, it trickles down as well. And it's just, it's, that's what I mean by Neil O'Shea just left this pile of garbage in his wake. Like it's, it's really going to take a while to fix the, the, just the absolute disaster that he left behind. All right. You want to talk about the games for this, this week? Yeah. Let's quickly go through the schedule. Uh, It is a, somewhat short week in Portland tonight. They play the Los Angeles Clippers for the fourth and final time in Portland. They make a quick pit stop in Golden State to take on the Warriors on Wednesday, which I believe will be nationally televised. And then they get a four-day break where they take on the upstart Minnesota Timberwolves at home to continue off their homestand. Sage, uh, we've seen this Clippers team. It's the fourth time. Without Dame, though, I think it could be difficult as... I don't, I mean, they, they essentially have the best player on the roster or on, on the teams. They have Paul George versus, you know, we have like CJ. Yes, I know they're missing Kawhi, but we're, we're we have looked terrible missing so, these three players that were without tonight. So let's do this differently because this is the first time we've ever been able to talk during like a three to 4 p.m. slot. So right now, I have out of, my lineups. I have 35% Paul George. He's one of the highest owned players. 
he's going to do well. But is there a chance that the Clippers blow us out and he only plays three quarters? Or do you think that there's going to be he's going to have that fourth quarter run? If you were a betting man, what do you think happened? I don't think Portland does a hit rock bottom yet. So I think there is a chance that they get blown out. I, I would say that the Spurs are on a winning streak. Like they've won four straight. So that wasn't too surprising. The Celtics have started to turn the corner. Yes, the Clippers are 12 and 12, but they're only three and seven in their last 10. So it's it's not like they're they've started to maybe like hit their stride a bit. It it would surprise me if they were able to drop the hammer uh portland is probably gonna get nasir little back and cj mccollum is probable with the bruised ribs Mm -hmm. still no ant still no dame it's gonna be a tough game for portland to win but i mean it's it's hard to imagine portland getting blasted again they very well could but like i said you give up 145 i mean it could go one of two ways Coach calls you out and you can be like, okay, I'm going to take that to heart or coach calls you out and you're like, fuck you, dude, I'm not playing for you, which probably would be my reaction. And it gets even worse. So Sage, this is why I don't bet on sports. I I just, I don't, because I I don't know. I I can't give you an answer. All right. So I have 25% CJ McCollum and 20% Norman Powell. Do you think without Damian Lillard, potentially without Anthony Simons, do you think that those two take on and be the one and two guys for this particular team and have ceiling games? I would not bet CJ with his bruised ribs. What about Norman? I mean, isn't he coming off of getting his face yep. smashed too? Yeah. I mean, also think of when has Norman Hell ever been a featured player? in Portland, regardless of who's on the floor, like he'll have a really strong quarter and the team just forgets about him. It's like, he's the forgetting, he's the forgotten trailblazer ever since he's arrived. I've always felt like they, it's almost like they they can't see him on the court. Mm. He should be featured more. He's just not, it's, it's incredibly strange. Um, You get guys like Ben McLemore and Tony Snell who take up way more shots than him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. Like, Honestly, I'd stay away from this game because I think it has it's 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 weird. So with DFS embedding, it's all about price point. And one of the cheapest and most popular players, Dennis Smith Jr. Because of the potential blowout run, I think that Dennis Smith Jr. is the safest player to play his minutes because if they're winning, he's playing. If they're losing, they're losing he's playing. Yeah. So that's why I have him in currently 55% of my lineups. He's cheap. He's going to play a lot. He's, he is a very safe option in daily fantasy. I do think that the Clippers are going to win this just because of the amount of players that are sitting in the bench in street glows. So, uh, I mean, we know this team. Um, the one question I have is Serge Ibaka going to play real minutes because he he's been in and out of the rotation a lot injury and like getting back into game shape. So it depends. Is this one of the games where Ty Lue feels safe to put in a recovering Serge Ibaka to have him run, you know, the uh, be the center or is he going to be the, the, the backup center? So that's you my know, main question. Ty Lue is going to attack the Blazer guards. There was a, picture posted on Twitter after Paul George 
entered into the locker room after the last game. I think it was on TNT. Yeah, TNT. The Clippers beat us. And on the whiteboard, you could see Ty Lue's game plan. It said, like, attack Ant, attack CJ, attack Dame. Well, you're getting worse versions of all of those players in the lineup yeah. for Portland. Yeah. You you know he's going to have Luke Kennard, Reggie Jackson, Paul George ready to, uh, shoot. Ready to go. Yeah. So that that's going to be very difficult for Portland to handle. And it only gets uh, harder as they move on to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, 19 and four on the season, 12 and two at home. They are tied with Phoenix for the best record in the entire NBA. Uh, They're eight and two in their past 10 games prior to losing to San Antonio. They were beating almost everybody. They played at home by double digits and Portland just got waxed about two weeks ago, 118-103. I assume Dame is still not going to play because he's his 10 days just his evaluation period of 10 days has not been been up. Um, you've got a Warriors team that probably is going to smell blood in the water. Yeah, I mean, best defense in the league. One of the smartest teams in the league. I have a feeling that Steph Curry is going to put up 30 and chill on the bench in the fourth quarter. I mean, they are stacked. You've got Otto Porter Jr. coming off your bench. Uh, Nemanja Belinka. Uh, excuse be me, jelly. I, but be jelly. I mean, he's he's been a, a wonderful addition. Jordan Gary. Poole, I text you. Jordan Poole should be an all star this year. Uh, he looks fantastic. Gary Payton Jr. has just been a dog on defense. He's so fun to watch. And then you got Wiggins, who I know he's had the laughable contract, but contract but he's, aside, he's fine. He, like he's a good player, and he hit that Penny Hardaway crossover yeah. uh, against Perfect. the Suns. Yeah, like well, uh, that I know that people don't particularly like him, but. He's a rotation small forward, and we don't have one of those. So he's a really good rotation small yeah. forward. Like I would, I would be happy with, with Wiggins in Portland. You got to pay for you have to pay for height and potential, you know, goodies offensively. So it is what it is with uh, Andrew Wiggins. He's 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 good. He's not first overall pick good, but he is a good player. And then Portland wraps up the week against the Minnesota Timberwolves at home. It's the first matchup between the the divisional foes. Minnesota is a team that is just slightly ahead of Portland in the standings at 11 and 12. They're decent away from home, four and six, uh, seven and three in their last 10. So that they've really turned it around. Uh, It's going to be a game that I'm looking forward to because Anthony Edwards is one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, You talk about sports and entertainment. That guy puts on a, a highlight real performance almost every time he's out there. Carl Anthony Towns is one of the most skilled bigs in the game. Uh, they seem like a team that it's like, hey, the play-in has expanded the format. We could possibly get in. Like, we've got a t- roster full of young players. Like, we want to win now. Uh, this is not going to be an easy matchup for Portland, especially if they are riding a five-game losing streak. And our, uh, Jalen McDaniels of those Timberwolves is playing today. That's good to know. Um, so this team is kind of coach weird. Out of the three options, Carol Anthony Towns, uh, Anthony Edwards, D'Lo, where would you say that if you were the coach, who would shoot the most? In order well, of D'Lo would be third on my on my list. Okay, I, I would I would go Edwards, Towns, D'Lo. So right now it's Edwards, D'Lo, Carl Anthony Towns, or Patrick uh, Patrick Beverly sometimes shoots more than Carl Anthony Towns. So right now the the team isn't. 
I don't think they're playing as effective as they should because of those guards shucking up. And you know, Malik Beasley, if run with Pat uh, Bev out, like there's a lot of guys who do their best work, just chucking the ball. So it, it, I feel like this team is eventually going to make Carl Anthony Towns want to bail because he's like the third or fourth option. And in my opinion, currently he is the best player on the team. So it, it is a very weird uh, roster uh, construction, especially because Finch is so good with uh, bigs. So him giving the green light to Pat Bev and uh, uh, D'Lo is a very weird thing to me. So the, uh, if they're smart, they go after us and we only play use of 24 minutes and Cat has a big game. This is a team that is hungry for success. They only lost to Brooklyn by five in Brooklyn just recently. Towns didn't play. This is a team that if Portland doesn't take seriously, they're going to get run out of the gym just like the Spurs did. They've got those hustle players in Torian Prince, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Nas Reed. Those players come just ready for a scrap every single night. They're going to outwork us on the glass if we're not ready to play. So don't just think, oh, Minnesota, Portland's easily got got this. Uh, This is a different Timberwolves bunch this season. So things could get dicey in Portland if if they don't figure it out quickly because, yes, they're playing at home, but this December schedule uh, is tough because, I mean, after those three, you're looking at Phoenix, Memphis, Charlotte, at Memphis, at New Orleans, Brooklyn, Dallas, Utah, and at the Lakers to round out the calendar year. Not many gimmies on that schedule. And Portland's got to be careful that it doesn't slip out of reach unless that's what you're you're looking for and you want to see a, a draft pick. But if you do acquire a Ben Simmons, you don't want to have to keep digging out uh, of that hole too far. So again, Portland's just in a very precarious situation where they're kind of teeter-tottering on, do we let things just all go to shit? Do we kind of stay above water in hopes that something good's going to come along and we'll be better positioned that way? You just don't really know. I mean, it's you're taking it almost on a game-by-game basis. But if I were a betting man, which thank God I'm not, I don't think we've I don't know if Portland's hit rock bottom yet. I think tonight's performance against the Clippers will tell me if if the Boston game was or if the players are really all out on Chauncey Billups. All right. Uh, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3, 4 to 5 Eastern. Um, be good to each other, and we out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!